Hey there, podcast listeners. Just want to let you know this episode includes a bit of profanity, especially towards the end of this somewhat drunken installment of The Well. Well, the things people do when they have taken alcohol are not directed by the clearest thinking and the most conscientious judgment. Spiritual values and human dignity are forgotten. That's why the use of alcohol is wrong. Welcome to The Well, a podcast about creativity and inspiration. I am Brandon Edgens. And I'm Anson Mount. Where are you, Anson? I'm in New York. I'm stuck here over the holidays because I'm doing a play. Yeah, where are you? Uh, I am in Georgia. And what spirits are you imbibing this holiday season? It's been dry down here. Uh, What are you drinking? This might surprise some, but I I don't go on stage drunk. (laughs) What? I save that for television. Then how do you do it? (laughs) Speaking of the theater, our guest today, actor, producer, director, Leon Inglesrud who may be familiar to fans of Hell on Wheels as Bendix, the Union Cavalry Colonel with a red mohawk. And even though he is of Nordic descent and looks exactly like a Viking, he was actually raised in Japan, speaks perfect Japanese, and in many ways is Japanese. Leon is a great storyteller, and he has a lot to say about a great many things. But we've sat him down to talk about his preoccupation with what he considers to be the most American of libations, the martini and it was also just an excuse to get together and drink so let's be honest about that that was frankly the real reason (laughs) (laughs) i didn't i mean come on that leading up to this night neither of us were like i cannot wait to get with leon and discuss the way he straddles two different cultural realities and investigates them through theater as a tool i'm really really looking forward to that i mean that part was interesting but it was really like, hey, when are we getting together with drinks with Leon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This isn't a very unusual scene. You've probably been to parties like this yourself. Lots of them. A bunch of us kids get together at somebody's house every now and then, and there's music and dancing and just general fun. I, as long as I've known you, you have been a martini connoisseur, and I was very impressed to find out one time that you managed to create a whole martini bar and write it off on your taxes. <laughs> and if you could explain how you did that. Well, um, I was asked to create something for the second uh, New York Fringe Festival. You know, it, <laughs> this is the problem with this. You pull on any thread and the whole sweater of reality starts coming apart. <laughs> but um, at the end of the feudal period in Japan, um, okay. We're going way back. You had this this class of people, the samurai. You know, that you'd created a warrior class essentially because you needed it. That you needed a group of people who w- could take care of things like security and um, you know, police the populace, but that were moral and so that they had some kind of code. It's the same thing as the knights in 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 Europe and chivalry, but you had Bushido and this this code of taking seriously the things that you did. You develop this ethic around living that's very rigorous. Well, when the feudal period ended and the the country was unified, there was no longer a need for these people. Or or there was no longer a need for those specific skills, because you basically had peace. And what they end up doing, and, and this is a lot more convoluted this than is this. This is the Bushido, the samurai. Yeah. That they, th- they think to themselves, well, wh- where in the world can we apply this same ethic? Because they believed in the ethic, but they just didn't have to work on swordsmanship anymore. So they said, well, let's pick the most mundane thing we can think of and apply the same thinking to that. So I'm way oversimplifying here, but they essentially went... Well, we drink tea, so what if we were to approach the act of drinking tea Mm. with the same kind of attention that we were putting into how to cut each other in half? (laughs) Okay. 
And there's where you get the tea ceremony. Oh, okay. And this idea of taking this very, very mundane thing and looking at it very carefully and very closely. Part of our passion for the martini was the fact that it was taking the act of drinking and paying attention to it. That it was putting this kind of structure around it. And we came up with this thing of like martini ceremony. This as an idea. It was a, you know, it was a joke. And so then a couple of days later, I, I'm filling out a form for the, the Fringe Festival because Diane has asked me to like make something for it. And I get to title of show and I just thought, martini ceremony. And I call up Bondo before I fill out the form. And I call you, don't up Bondo. Have a pl- you don't have a play. I don't have a play. <laughs> and I call up Bondo and I'm like, hey, remember that joke we were saying the other night about martini ceremony? Do you want to make a show about that for the Fringe Festival? He's like, sure. So then I spent that summer, basically, um, that spring and summer, researching everything I could find out about martinis, which to do due diligence, you know, you're coming across hundreds and hundreds of recipes. And I would be a completely irresponsible person if you don't try them. You have to know what you're talking about. Yeah. And if one is not willing to be one's own test subject, one is not. An artist. An artist. <laughs> or, a, you know, a moral... What's the ethical thing to do? Exactly. It is to, be, to be the, you know, the samurai of, of the 21st century means to do this kind of thing. The thing about the martini, and there's, there's you know, there's so many aspects to it, but part of it is inclusivity. There is a fundamental exclusivity entwined around an inclusivity in it. Which is why I would argue that it is the ultimate American beverage. There is one overarching value of a martini. The one quality of its preparation that is absolutely essential is the temperature. It must be cold. It must be very cold. And if you don't shake it enough it's not going to be cold enough. Mm. Mm. And so when I see those crystals of ice on the surface of my martini, oh. I know that they shook it. So, okay, so you don't think that stirring quite gets it? I haven't found it to get it. Okay. It goes back to the tea ceremony thing. Obviously, there's different schools of tea ceremony and different ways of doing it. But I find the gesture of the shaking to be extremely satisfying. Mm. At this point, Leon breaks out his collection of martini shakers. Yes, I see. One is insulated with rubber grips. This is uh, my workhorse. One is kind of hard to describe. Looks like a sculpture. I mean, it looks, you know, it looks like a sci-fi award or something. Especially, it's got its own little stand stand. here. Yeah, Yeah, it looks like a trophy. One has the letters TCB on it. This one, um, which is a piece of crap, um, but I, I wonder if you can identify where I got that. Anson, being from Tennessee, got it right oh. away. <laughs> Did you get this in Memphis? Yes. I'm sort of glad I'm blanking on Taking this. care of business, buddy. Elvis. Elvis. That's his insignia. I bought it at Graceland. Yes, you Grace bought it. <laughs> and you know what? I'd be disappointed if it was a great shaker. That's right. It, it, it kind of has right. to be a piece of crap. That's you know? right. Do we, do we want to... Yeah. Um, Make make a cocktail. I, I, we've been talking about this too long. Let's let's let's, let's see you. I, I want you. I, you should walk us through the steps of making the proper martini. So, um, well, I want to make three different martinis. Okay. It's not a simple question, is it? There seem to be many different opinions, even among our own gang. Each one of us must make up his own mind. It isn't easy. What do you think? What about drinking? Leon starts us off with his standard, straight-up martini. Then I'm going to go with the Bombay Sapphire, just to start on the, the top end here. That's a great sound. Right? Puts in a thimble of vermouth. Just a tiny bit. And one drop. That was two. But okay, two drops of bitters. So you can smell but it. does not so shake it yet. First, prep your garnishes. Um, and sometimes I order it this way, which is I'm going to put a twist and an olive. An olive and a twist of lemon. 
which he excises from the rind using a special tool. Yeah. It's exploding. You can, you can see it coming out, right? And yeah. you want to get that into the, the glass. Yeah, the light's behind you, and it's exploding off of that uh, of the peel as you're cutting through it with that uh, very nifty little tool you have. Then, the main event. Here is a colorless liquid that looks like water. It has a pungent odor and a burning sweet taste. Its chemical formula is C2H5OH. This is ethyl alcohol, the alcohol found in intoxicating beverages. It's amazing how different I feel about the sound at the top of that than I do at that, that right there. That just sounds sad. It's true. <laughs> Yeah. And I and when I'm sadly um, drinking alone, which is like, <laughs> and so I have my shaker and my glass, uh-huh. and I fill the first one, and I put the shaker down, and it's not empty yet, and so it goes. It's so, so, so comforting. <laughs> <laughs> um, pick pick your glass. I like this uh, this mm. one with the metal stem on it. I like the I like the fancy one. This one, yeah. The alcohol travels down the esophagus and into the stomach and the small intestine. See, I, th- I find it funny that, that when people say they want a dry martini, that means less vermouth, because mm-hmm. to me, the vermouth, it feels drier it's to me. It's kind of an astringent. Yeah, it, it's astringent. That's exactly mm-hmm. what it is. It, 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 it feels more volatile on the tongue and, and more of a a dry warmth going down the, the throat. Now, what is vermouth? Vermouth is a fortified wine. Oh, really? Um, which comes trippingly off of my tongue, and I have very little to say beyond that because I don't know what that means, really. But it's a, it's a wine that has had things done to it. Well, according to Wikipedia, uh, it actually has its, its distant roots in Asia. But the, the European uh, version of this, uh, the most popular ingredient to fortified wines, was wormwood because of the belief that it eliminated intestinal parasites. Uh-huh. Now, is that why wormwood is called wormwood? I don't know about that. That's sounds, a deeper wormhole. Sounds likely. Why, why else would you call it that? Well, let's find out. Uh, here we go. My father taught me this thing. He said... Uh, never trust a teacher who can get past the third why. And and when I when I said, can you can you elaborate on that? He said, if if after the third why they're not at the fundamental mystery of the universe, they're not thinking deeply enough. A drink before dinner in the evening is just about the best thing I know of to settle your nerves and give you an appetite. My father always had it around the house, and we've had it. And I don't object to your taking a drink once in a while. But I just don't want to ever hear of your being drunk. Martinis are very cinematic. When it's shot right, it always makes me like pang for a martini. It it looks like a little lake. That's it right. It looks refreshing. It looks like That's a little glacial, clear, a little pool. super cold yeah. thing. So much has been written about how what we see affects what we experience with our with our with our tastes. I think the martini is a classic example of that. That if you put it in a red cup, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's not going to taste the same. And I, I you know, I, I want to keep going back to that because that's part of the whole point of the martini is that you're actually trying to raise your consciousness about the thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. It also occurs to me that um, the, the conversation that we're having is inadvertently or perhaps advertently addressing all five senses mm. you know we mm-hmm. really are we were just the glass the mm-hmm. touch obviously the taste yeah um you know the the visual and really the sound yeah um the only thing we haven't covered is smell which is so tied into taste yeah as it you is. can't separate them really yeah that um yeah we really we haven't we just haven't gotten to telekinesis yet yeah <laughs> <laughs> which that's the third we're martini getting there. we're getting there <laughs> What's next? I'm going to make a martini in the other room, which you will drink. (laughs) That's extremely dry. Uh, In the liver, some of the alcohol undergoes an immediate change. Enzymes 
found only in the liver react with the alcohol and change it to acetic acid. And it here is white dye. I think, I think why we are attracted to ritual is that on some unconscious level, it's sort of just nudging up against you that that's true of your dish towels. You know, like everything in your life is a little bit outside of your grasp to be able to really understand. It's interesting that oftentimes rituals do contain an element that you're not supposed to understand, that's, that's to be obscured. And may, maybe the, the equivalent for that in the martini is the fact that we don't see into the shaker as we shake it. You know, that maybe that's the, the holy of holies. Is, is that, are we venturing back into elitism? <laughs> I think we're venturing into another martini. <laughs> I think so too. I have to, I'm going to pee. All right, I'm going to pause. All I can say is alcohol can't be as bad as some people think it is. My folks don't think it's poison either. How do you know you won't get drunk? Look, I'm no baby. I know what I can do and what I can't do, even with drinking. All right, so now we're on to martini number two. So I'm doing Gordon's and Kettle One. We have a police chase going on outside while we're doing this. Well, it's also, this is a highly illegal martini. (laughs) 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 This is sometimes um, referred to as the James Bond martini. Okay. Uh, In the book, he orders it with Kina Lillet which I'm not completely sure what that is. Would you like Oliver Twist? I think you should go one or the other with this one. Okay, I'll go, I'll go with the olive. Okay. No, I didn't do what I said before. I didn't prep the garnish first. But. Now, the thing to note about these olives is that these are brined in vermouth. Thank you. Bon appétit. Hmm. Very different. Mm-hmm. I don't mind that. The more alcohol that reaches the liver at one time, the more alcohol goes on to the heart unchanged. The heart pumps this blood containing alcohol and the acetic acid into the arteries. The liver oxidizes about three-fourths of an ounce of alcohol per hour until the alcohol is all oxidized. Have you ever thought about whether or not your adherence or sensitivity to a ritualized thing as simple as as your favorite drink is rooted somehow in your upbringing in Japan? I think it is. I, I definitely think it is. Why? Which is why I would trace it back to that cultural influence. What was it like growing up minority (laughs) in Japan? You never know. Like, I don't have anything to compare it to on one level. I'm much more aware of how weird it was to come back to the States, especially when I would come back to visit when I was young. I was very, very confused by people constantly saying to me, it must be good to be back. It must be good to be, it doesn't feel good to be in the States. And it didn't at all, because I was away from home. I grew up in an environment in which I was always noticed. I was, I was yes, a minority, and yes, obviously so. I was um, sort of coddled for that. People thought it was cool. People thought it was cute. People thought it was interesting. I was never aware of being considered um, dirty or an outsider or, or anything negative. I spent one year in, in um, Minnesota when I was in junior high and I was harassed and picked on and bullied. I was, they called me Jap. So it was really interesting to me that um, the, 
that I was uh, racially um, discriminated against in the United States when I was clearly white because I had grown up in Japan. Did you ever feel like a man without a country? I did for a long time until I realized, oh, that feeling is what it is to be an American. <laughs> <laughs> or an actor. <laughs> or an actor. <laughs> yeah. No, but it, it really, like, there was this moment where I thought, I, you know, do I want to be an American? Because I want to be all these different things. I want to be a mix of things. I don't want to decide. And then I realized, oh, no, that means that I'm an American. The fact that I can, yeah. you know, you have to be American to even think that. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. When you live in New York City, you're seeing people who are different than you so much that you cannot escape from yourself. You have to confront what you are. You know, that's a thing that probably the people in the 1% are not as good at as the people in the not 1%. <laughs> you know, and as income disparity gets worse in this country, and particularly in this city, that it's actually the disenfranchised who have a better grasp of certain, certain techniques, certain ways of living that are survival advantageous. I don't know, I'm ranting now. Yeah. <laughs> this is what happens after, imagine how, imagine how smart we're going to get after a third martini. <laughs> <laughs> I can explain that phenomenon. It's a fact. Alcohol is poison and you know it. Hey, now wait a minute. Let's not get all riled up about this. Should we um, move on to this third? Move to the third? Third martini? Yeah. yeah. You know, what is the what is the rule? Two are too much and three is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not even funny. <laughs> but that's a really interesting thing. The the it truth is. of that. Yeah, yeah, that was very, very true. That something can be excessive and then it crosses a line and it's just like This one is going to be the most exotic in terms of garnish. Uh oh. And he reaches in and pulls out an English cucumber. An English cucumber. Oh. <laughs> okay. That was the sound of two grown men watching another man wrap an olive with a slice of cucumber. And it was, just for a second, kind of beyond belief. Yes. Yes. What I'm making here is a Hendrix martini. Mm. So satisfying, right? And between the vermouth from the olives that they were brined in and doing the fresh cucumber directly into the glasses, I think that that's enough. So I'm not putting anything else in this. So this is just hundreds. That's my favorite so far. That's my favorite. Yeah. I wondered if it wouldn't be, which is why I did it last. Yes. <laughs> I was, was going to say, it's either my favorite or it's my third. So, like, <laughs> it's a combination of the it's, two. I think it's both. I think it's both. And so it's still actually just an olive garnish with mm -hmm. a cucumber wrapped around it. Okay, now try this, which usually I wouldn't push you to do until further into the drink. Uh -oh. But go ahead and eat one of your olives. Okay. Should I eat it with the uh, the whole cucumber? Yeah, of course. Just, obviously. just eat the, eat that first one. Off. I would have to unwrap it. Huh. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have that snap and that crunch that you're talking about, and the meatiness and the, the meatiness olive. of the yeah. olive. It's, oh yeah. It's. I think it's genius. Yeah. This is practically a salad. That's great. With a gin dressing. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is my new martini. You're exactly, what you said about it's like a salad with a gin dressing is right because you get the gin in between those folds mm -hmm. in a way you don't with it when it's just an olive. Mm -hmm. it, remind, it makes me think of how the Japanese are, I think, who are better than anyone at just going, okay, 
what are the three, what, okay, to make it an interesting flavor, what are the basics that you need? Mm-hmm. Let's go get kind of the best one of those, or not necessarily the best, but yeah. the best version of that and pair it very carefully, balance it very carefully yeah. with that one other thing. It's not complicated. Yeah. It just works because you're not, mu- you're not muddying it up with a whole bunch of stuff. But here's the thing, and I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb. The reason I keep finding, the reason why people in places like Japan love Americans, that's a huge generalization, but in general, they actually do. The, one of the reasons why they like Americans is because we get all excited about them. Mm. Mm-hmm. We go like, your calligraphy is amazing. <laughs> this is incredible. And we get enthusiastic about it. You're a raw fish. My God, <laughs> you know, right. and and like, you, we do things like, hey, what huh. about avocado? Will that work? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and we like we get in there, and we like, and and so that's the thing. Like, I don't want to be afraid of our again. It's the horizontal thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, mm-hmm. I know that comes from your really deep culture. Yoink! Right, <laughs> you know, but, not in a horrible, awful. You know, Elgin taking the marbles from the Parthenon way, but in a kind of, that's really beautiful. I'm going to go build one. Where's that that Parthenon recreation? It's Nashville. A, it's Nashville. Nashville. Yeah. I'm going to go build one in Nashville. I'm not going to steal yours. That's <laughs> yours. Keep yours. I'm just going to make one of put cream cheese on it. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to go make it. And make it out of cobblestone and concrete for you some know, reason. And the thing is, like, Okay, so maybe that's horrible and ugly in certain ways, but mm-hmm. in other ways, it's astounding. And, it, and fundamentally, a, you left the Greek one alone. Yeah, it wasn't a mark of your appreciation. I mean, exactly. I mean, if, what is it? The, the sincerest form of uh, flattery, flattery is right. imitation. Right. But this is the thing what is America? Mm-hmm. It's a collection of people from all over the world mm-hmm. who had that impulse to be interested in the other thing. Right. Because they mm-hmm. left. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. And they came, and they came here. Somehow dissatisfied and needed something a little more. Yeah. As long as there is any alcohol in the bloodstream, some of it reaches the brain. Here it acts as an anesthetic. At first, the greatest effect is on the cerebrum. Even small amounts of alcohol tend to deaden these centers, and because of this may provide an illusion of relaxation. This is not a complete fall. This is ordinarily the situation in moderate social drinking. One of the, one of the great, I think, under-examined ironies of the Second World War in the Pacific mm-hmm. was that Admiral Yamamoto, mm-hmm. who was probably the, the smartest um, military mind that the Japanese had, was educated in the United States, mm-hmm. wrote a thesis on Lincoln, and was not listened to um, by his own people, that his advice was not taken. And he was not interested in a long, drawn-out war. Mm-hmm. And he thought the United States wasn't too. He was opposed to fighting the Americans first. Right. Was he the one that the Sleeping Giant comment came yeah, from? Yeah, no. I think so. I think so. He and he he was opposed. He he executed Pearl Harbor, but was opposed to it. Right. The reason why World War II represents a particularly dramatic overlap of Leon's two worlds, and he has a lot to say on the subject. Like the Japanese admired us before the war, and Leon sees this as just another part of the great tragedy that was World War II. It's so horrible to reduce it to this term, but the bitch slap. Mm-hmm to Japan, represented by America's treatment of it in World War II, mm-hmm. is re- it's, it's hard to quantify mm. how stinging that was. The, and then that you execute the most brutal bombing campaign in history against a civilian population, mm-hmm. against a people who for all intents and purposes, it's worshipped you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's still like you know, Hitler worshipped the British. Mm-hmm. Hitler thought the British were the coolest people on the planet. <laughs> he thought they were fantastic. Mm-hmm. He f- 
fully assumed they were going to ally with him. Wow. He didn't think he was going to have to invade Britain. And without Churchill, he might not have had to. <laughs> right. You know. mm -hmm. That's, yeah. it's, it's the same thing with crime, right? Mm -hmm. Like, right. Who, if, if somebody gets killed, you don't look for the people that hated them. You right. look for the people who loved oh them, right? <laughs> yeah. That's who kills you. Jesus. <laughs> it is now almost three hours into Martini number three. We talked about World War II for a bit longer until someone, I believe it was Anson, remembered we were supposed to be making a show and that Leon had a long working partnership with famed avant-garde Japanese director Tadashi Suzuki, inventor of the Suzuki method of acting. And Leon was, among many other things, his translator. I have to ask you, what, what, okay, so what was, um, if one story comes to mind, what was the most difficult job you had translating for Tadashi Suzuki? If he, if he puts you in a difficult position, well, what would that the, have been? This is the thing, like, he delighted in putting me in difficult situations. <laughs> so his favorite thing, no, I shouldn't say favorite thing to do, but a thing that he took great pleasure in doing would be to put me into a situation in which I had to translate him criticizing me. <laughs> How would that work? <laughs> well, they would be a, a situation, and, and and the thing is, I mean, I hesitate to say that these were the most difficult situations because it was actually really interesting for me to do this, and it taught me a lot. And so he talked about this as like how I had fucked everything up. I realized that it was kind of fucked up from an outside perspective, but I realized that within my role in the company, it was my job to be the butt of the jokes and that it was good showbiz. You remember how withering Andres Herban could be sometimes, right? Sure. Like, he was deadly. And Suzuki was like that, but more often. They were comparable, but Suzuki would do it every day and cut us apart. But, you know, he literally said to me several times, I don't think I could spend very much time in the States because I would get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> because you, because for, and, for, and he said for theater. And, <laughs> no, he said he said he said you guys have laws against the kinds of things I do. <laughs> you know, but is, it, but, is it, but is that true? Yes, I, <laughs> I mean he's abusive. I mean, okay, okay, oh that, okay. oh that, work, work okay, practices. all right, you okay. know. Uh, he, uh, no, no, no. And, I mean, he, like, like, not just like hours and stuff like that. Like, he hurts people. Right. How so? Like, he throws things at people and people bleed and, you know. Oh, Jesus. It's not good. It's not cool. There are so many people, like, in my world who mm -hmm. hold Suzuki in this light that's like, well, but just look at the result. Yeah. You know, and that's it. But it reminded me of Brannon, of, of the way that Kubrick treated Shelley Duvall mm -hmm. during the filming of, uh, of The Shining. Mm -hmm. uh, that he, he, the way he treated her Whoa. seemed like just horrific, horrific and awful, but it clearly had a result. He essentially victimized her throughout that shoot. I love Kubrick. Yeah. And I, yes. and, I, and I admire him, and I think he's a great artist. But I think that's reprehensible. Like, the other big um, manipulation moment that I think about with him is his relationship with George C. Scott mm -hmm. on, oh, uh, yeah. on Strange Love. Yeah, give me one big. Yeah. You know? And, I, I mean, there are few geniuses that I hold up to Kubrick's class. But I would much prefer a situation in which... George C. Scott also felt really good about the shots that were used. I would feel much better about a situation in which Shelley Duvall got to a point where she was doing something which she actually thought represented her work rather than 
being manipulated into a situation like a kind of lab rat. What I loved about your story about a, a Full Metal Jacket not knowing how to end Full Metal oh God, Jacket and, and asking people to like come to him with that ideas. That is a That's amazing. Humble, a massively yeah. humble thing. He, like he didn't know how he was going to end Full Metal Jacket and that is one of the yep. that if you pulled me and asked me what is the best ending to a film I've ever seen it would be Full Metal Jacket. And he pulled and not just the actors, he pulled the grips, he pulled everybody, because his rule on set was there are no bad ideas. Best just, idea wins. The best right. idea wins. I just want to hear everything because then we'll battle it out and figure out what works. He was very, very humble, mm -hmm. and he wanted his actors to be involved. And, and a lot of that, like, that, that notorious take after take after take after take, it wasn't because he was trying to zero in on a thing that he had locked in his head. It was because he was bored. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he was saying, I've seen this. This is my first thought, too. I get it. That's my first impulse. I see it. Yeah, sure. But I'm not interested. Uh, you know, it makes, it makes me sad to see, especially young filmmakers, misinterpret that yeah. that sort of like 60 take thing go like oh it's because they weren't doing it the way he said it that's, that's not right that is so important that is not true that is not true he was very uh nurturing there was something a little asbergery about about kubrick and he wasn't oh, the best uh, he wasn't oh, okay maybe a lot asbergery <laughs> about kubrick but you know but if somebody just said you know like i'm doing it i feel it my like way. We, we've launched into a full defense of stanley kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> this is what i'm here for this is do we call bilga i will call bilga and he will come up here and he will be much more eloquent than i am um, uh, but actually i didn't even want to tell that story uh the story i wanted to tell was my favorite uh, this made this is just because this, this is just because i had like four martinis um since you stole the microphone away from our guests i did not <laughs> no, he handed it to me you've completely stolen the microphone from I, our guests. I haven't tell said, your kubrick story fine i didn't this is this is not a kubrick story and i haven't said anything for 30 minutes and leon handed me the microphone so he could go, go for get, it. So he could go get some ice. <laughs> this Do is it. filler. Do it. Okay. All right. Listen, listen. There are very few people I want to hear Kubrick stories from. No, I'm not, this is not a Kubrick story. I tell Kubrick stories. But when it comes to when I'm sitting at the table with you and you start telling Kubrick stories, I hand you the mic. Oh wow! That's, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Because this now I feel bad because this story. No, yeah. I feel bad now because this is not a Kubrick story. Oh shit! Uh, uh, <laughs> no, 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 look at that. He just, he just put down his headphones and walked away from the table because it's not a Kubrick story. Okay, it's falling apart. What is um, that? <laughs> so uh, no, this was this was somebody as, uh, asking of all people, Nicolas Cage. Uh, his Wait, this is a Nicolas Cage. Wait, how did this turn into a Nicolas Cage story? Shut up and listen. We've been recording for three and a half hours, and somewhere around here we had our fourth and stealthiest martini with no fanfare. So to ask Kubrick, I mean, sorry, ask Nicolas Cage, what is your... Now I'm telling a Stanley Kubrick story that somehow became a story Nicolas Cage told about being at a Hollywood Christmas party. Right? So if you're just there in their stupid Santa Claus hats, you know, drinking eggnog and stuff, and he just wants to forget for a second. When the director for the film he was currently shooting walked up to him and said, Nick, I've been watching the dailies, and uh, it's just not working. It's not working. <laughs> so he's like, oh, Jesus, this is, oh my God, what a terrible way to ring in the new year. You know, like, I'm ruining the movie, apparently. If you haven't figured it out by now, this is what happens when you give a bunch of theater and film people four martinis. They'll spend hours telling director stories. I'm going to make the link through Kubrick to a story that is one of my favorite director stories. But Charlton Heston gets cast in Ben-Hur, directed by William Wyler. And, it's, and he realizes that this is the moment. This is his, the brass ring is right there. He's been set up for it. He's in a good position to get it. And he is going to be an international superstar if he pulls this thing off well. And he's in a good place to pull it off well. And they start shooting, and he's just nailing it. It's like everything's like great. Everything's fantastic. And, and he's back at his, at his apartment, and there's a knock at the door. 
and it's William Wyler, the director. <laughs> okay. It's like, oh, yeah. hi, Bill. Come in. He's like a drink. He pours him a drink. And, and William Wyler sits on the bed, and he doesn't take a sip from his drink. <laughs> and William Wyler says, you're going to have to be better in this. <laughs> And Charlton Heston says, what, what do you mean? And William Wyler says, if I knew the answer to that, I would tell you you would do it, and that would be it. I'm just saying, you're going to have to be better in this. And he puts down his drink and walks out. And I'm... As the concentration of alcohol in the blood rises above 500%, the judgment center becomes more and more depressed. The person usually feels confident that everything is all right. Barack Obama said something about all this that I just... Racism hurts all of us. Oh, yeah. It just... It doesn't just hurt. Statewide. The president cannot pardon New York state laws. He can only pardon federal laws. New York state laws... The president cannot pardon. You don't agree? No. I want there to be... <laughs> no. Because they can't trust. All I know, we're still recording. I'm, I'm going to shut this off before I say that I'm going to kill every member of... Wait, you're going to turn it off before? Duran Duran. <laughs> no, it's... I would never kill Duran Duran. They give the best concert of my life, actually. <laughs> The best concert of my life, David Bowie, Rebels, Madison Square Garden. Mm. Although, like, I brought Brandon, Brandon and I were front row, Britney Spears. That's not the best show. Wait, wait. Seriously? Okay. Anson, Anson, only because I'm as drunk as I am. Like, (laughs) what is your current relationship with Britney Spears? Because there is no other time in my life when I would ever ask you this question because I love you, man. <laughs> and he would. I don't know, man. I hadn't talked to her in a long time. Do you have a number? Can we call her right now? N- I don't know, man. Turn on the microphone. <laughs> we gotta go in the Wayback Machine, man. And then you go in an image search on Anson Mount and Britney Spears. And but and it's like, it's like there's two universes. <laughs> it's like there's two totally different universes, and Not they true. split clearly. No, they split clearly down the middle. <laughs> Not true. She is, she is. This is completely local town girl loyalty. Mm-hmm. Like writing. Oh yeah, no, like I'd, I'd, no, I'd, I'd, like I'd, 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 no, I'd, I'd come down on the side of Britney, definitely. Yeah, I'm not talking about her. Uh, I'm talking the, about the like, phenomenon around the her. Phenomenon. Yeah, I no, no, it has. Don't get me wrong, I, I love her. I think she's a lovely person. But at the end of the day, and I hope somebody would say this about me: Who gives a shit? <laughs> right? No, no, no. Yeah. I say that every day about you. <laughs> you're, you're a lovely person, but who gives a shit? <laughs> I love my country, indeed I do, but all that war has made a million different. I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna stop this. Go ahead. I'm gonna stop this. Uh, no, but that's the thing. Is that no, like, no, no, I'm not having another martini. Stay away. No. Tell us more about Britney. No. So Aida, I know Aida is very successful now on TV. Yeah. Yeah. She was so that was I'm just saying. Get some people on these New York Netflix 
Marvel shows that know some shit about how Japanese is spoken because they have this whole they're hiring some folk who are not speaking Japanese <laughs> and it's I'm sorry it is so fucking racist I can't you know uh, so it's a mystery you know and I know that he was raised you know in this like dirt farm where he had no shoes and he would like cut the crowns off of chickens to make them mad so they would fight each other. I mean, it's just like, like the most base, redneck, serve, you know, just like brutal shit. I'm like, like that's just, that's like Lord of the Flies. Like that is so, that is so fucked up. Like you are so. If the concentration of alcohol continues to increase, it finally affects a deeper center toward the base of the brain called the cerebellum. When the concentration of alcohol in the bloodstream reaches about four-tenths percent, unconsciousness usually occurs. And so most of his friends got killed. Well, there was an after that he came back to the States and he got the GI Bill. And became a missionary. And he went to Japan. He found someone who What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 I'm just like really way out there. <laughs> okay. All right. No, I mean, no. Tell me. Putting these things into words is Tell me. to be surprising. Are you hearing the wind out there? You, you, your father did what? What, what, what happened? <laughs> I'm not feeling a. Uh, Massive wellspring of pain that's not being expressed or anything. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I haven't been to this drunk in a long time. Yeah, me too. Amateurs. That was not an edit. The microphones lost their power the same time we did, and that sound is the last thing we recorded that night. Yeah, I think that was a four martini evening. No, it was more. It was five. Oh my! Seriously? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that was a that was a five martini. You lost count, and I know you lost count because when Leon and I left, which I barely remember. Uh, is looking back at you and your face down on your computer. (laughs) Just completely like knocked out. And of course, being guys, we were not like, oh, let's put him in bed. We were like, "Ah, he's probably fine. And we just walked out together. And I sort of remember going down the elevator with Leon and we were either laughing or crying or singing. Leon seems to remember that we were singing, but doesn't remember crying. I don't remember what happened. What if what, is, I had, what was your last memory? I don't know, but what if what if I had vomited on my computer and electrocuted my face to death? You'd you'd feel, you'd feel <laughs> electrocuted, bad. Your, electrocuted your face to death. <laughs> what if I've permanently paralyzed my face? My career would be over. Oh, you barely use your face anyway. After deep intoxication. The sobering up period for an average sized adult may take 12 hours or more. Even beyond this amount of time loss, there frequently is a further period of partial incapacity. I'm looking for it right now, but I can't find it. And I have uh, that text from you the next day. (laughs) That was, I don't think I'm going to live through this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it just makes sense. Like when he's explaining the... What gin is to us is basically, you know, gin is vodka with stuff in it, you know, to to flavor it. 
Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Just so I get this straight. You're blaming the herbs <laughs> for your hangover yes. and not the massive amount of ethanol? <laughs> yes. <laughs> why, do, why do people do that? Like, I feel absolutely terrible. How, how, did you, how much did you drink last night? Oh, I had like eight drinks. Well, that's why. No, I think it was the mixers. I think there was something weird about the mixers. <laughs> like, no. It's ethanol. <laughs> I'm back to being a vodka martini guy, which, of course, according to Leon, is not a martini. It's a kangaroo. So It's a I'm kangaroo. St- Wait a minute. After all of that, you're going to stick with vodka martini? But you know what? I will start calling it a kangaroo. At least do that in honor of Leon so, we, so that the whole evening was not wasted. That is our duty now to be martini samurais in the Bushido tradition. I don't, I don't feel like a martini samurai. I feel like, you know, I was left for dead somewhere on the... The martini battlefield. What was the old uh, Viking saying? Either come home on your laptop or not at all. <laughs> that was good. I like that. You you died an honorable death that night. <laughs> yeah. In a little dim lit bar, as I sit drinking whiskey laced sours, I promised some girl I would not hurl or pee on her neighbor's flowers. The bar keeps seen enough and cuts my ass off, but it's way too far. I can't find my car, but you know it's hard when you're plastered. I'm puking by the fence and the stench has people saying, my God, that punk is so damn drunk. I can't believe he's standing. I try to leave with grace, but fall right on my face. I'm prone again. Drunkenly. The drinking started yesterday. The Well is produced and edited by Anson Mount and myself, Brandon Edgens. Music by Jonathan Myberg, who has a new album out with a new band. You can find out more about us and him on our website, thewellpod.com. If you like the show, it really helps us out if you subscribe and give us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Additional music by D. Range, Rick Cormier, and Vernon Dahlhardt through a Creative Commons license. And as we head into the New Year's festivities, please remember to drink responsibly. Proceeds, I'm prone again, drunkenly. I'm prone to gin, naturally. It's essential that every drinker understand how alcohol affects his body and he should realize that alcohol is a potential menace to community safety as well as to his personal health.